Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Today, as we start, I want you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to read uh, kind of a a pretty good chunk of scripture just to kind of give us context uh, around what we're talking about. Like I said, we're going to talk about knowing God today. And hopefully, my, my, my prayer and my hope is as you walk away, that you have more tools in your belt about what it looks like to know God, right? Uh, because God's given us this amazing world to live in, in which he conveys who he is to us. And it's this incredible thing. We're going to be talking about, uh, just as we open up here, the life of Paul. And talking about how his, his conversion um, from Saul to Paul out of Acts 9. And uh, we're going to be starting in verse 3 today. And talking about this encounter that he had uh, with God. And it says this, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, the mission was to go and he had permission from the priest to arrest Christians and to take them back to Jerusalem to be wrongfully tried and ultimately also persecuted and, and potentially killed. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The man with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes he was blind. There's an interesting contextual thought for you. He opened his eyes and he was blind. Just anyway, keep that for we'll come back to that. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Will you, uh, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about this, the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, I hear you, but you're doing it anyway. <laughs> Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So wonderful, so wonderful. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And then it says he ate food and regained his strength. A couple things that are, that are interesting about this story that we talk about Paul um, as it pertains to knowing God. Paul was someone, if anybody knew about God, it was Paul. Paul, just to give you a little bit of background, as he grew up, he was highly educated in the law. He had one of the, the best 
uh, instructors that you could possibly have that taught him everything there was to know based off of everything they knew about God based off of what they had that far, which was the law, the Pentateuch, right? First five books of the Bible. This, this, is, what, this is what they had, right? He knew everything about it. But yet what was really interesting is how when Jesus comes to Paul on the road to Damascus, what is the first thing that Paul says? Who are you, Lord? And the, the thought here is this, that it is possible to know a lot about God, but not know God. Paul would give us a perfect example of someone who, from his childhood, he knew, he knew everything. He would even say of himself that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law inside and out, backwards and forwards. You could riddle him on anything to do with God from the Torah, anything from scriptures, and he would be able to tell you. He knew everything about God, but when it came down to standing right in front of him, he asked, who are you, Lord? I also find it interesting that Paul thought he knew God. He thought he knew about God. But what happened after his encounter with Jesus? He was blind. And I wonder, I just wonder, if God used natural blindness to help Paul realize how spiritually blind he actually was. Because again, Paul, with all of this knowledge, when standing right in front of Jesus, didn't know who that was. And so what did God do? He allowed him to be blind for three days. And then there's something amazing in verse 18 where it says, instantly scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. I think that's both natural and spiritual because now what had happened is Saul, his knowledge of God based off of his intellect had now come into an encounter with the living God and his knowledge now led him to a relationship with God. So not only did his natural blindness was that healed, his spiritual blindness was beginning to be healed. Where after an encounter with Jesus, all of the dots started being connected. And he started to go, oh, all of this stuff that I, that I knew about God, everything that I had learned from a, a child now starts to make sense. And Paul began a relationship with Jesus. It was much more than knowledge, but it was now something that impacted his heart. It's this beautiful thing that we see how, how knowledge on itself, even though it's powerful, and, and I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, all the knowledge that Paul carried with him aided in his relationship with Jesus because he knew everything now. But if he had just stayed there, the relational aspect of who God was would have never taken place. You can't have one without the other. It's impossible to have all the knowledge about God without a personal relationship with him or the application of knowledge. It's also not possible to have just a revelation without then going to the revelation about who God is. Well, I was at a camp or I was at a conference or I had this, this moment, this emotional moment where I connected with God. Yes, awesome. Those are real and God uses those. Now, find out who he is. So Paul shows that how important it is to have both of these things working together. This was such a transformative moment in Paul's life that when he's writing to the church in Philippi, 
he talks about what the revelation of the knowledge of God had done to him. This is a very famous passage of scripture. Philippians 3 says this, I once thought these things were valuable. What are those things? His lineage, his heritage, his national heritage of who he was, his knowledge because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And his, his uh, devout obedience to the law, the doing the right things. These are the things he lists in verse six. And he says, I once counted all those things as valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with, get this, the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, he doesn't throw those things out because all of those things are being used to build his relationship with God. But he understood that those things on themselves would not help him grow in his relationship with God. And so he says this, he says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. There it is, the doing all the right stuff. But rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death, which is just, thanks, Paul, for throwing that last part in there. That's just, that's just wonderful. We should have left it earlier. <laughs> what does he say? I want to experience the power of God. I don't just want to know about it, but I actually want to live it in my life. Paul had this such a radical conversion and change to his life that the knowledge by itself wouldn't do anymore. He wanted and desired this relationship. See, the goal of knowledge in any relationship, if you think about you know, a dating relationship, a husband and wife relationship, even a relationship between friends, the goal of knowledge about that other person is that it deepens your relationship with them, right? If I learn something new about my wife, it should cause me to deepen my relationship with her, right? Friends do this too. You get to a point where you share some of these deep things of life and you realize, wow, there is, there is something that's building up this relationship. Paul's greatest desire wasn't to know about God, but it was to actually know him and live in relationship with him. It just so happens that he had all of the knowledge and he had all of the, the backing and, and all of that to go with and to build up and bolster his relationship. One is not more important than the other. The goal of knowledge of God is to deepen our relationship with God. Now, here's, here's why I know this, right? Here, here's why this is really important. Because if it was only up to intellectual knowledge of who God is, do you know who would be closest to God? The people who have masters and PhDs. They would be the ones that would be closest to God because they know the most. I have my masters of divinity. I've studied the Bible for years and years, so therefore I am closer to God than the rest of you peons. But you know, just like I know, that's not true. Now, does a master's and does a PhD and does studying the word of God lend to that? Absolutely. 
Absolutely it does. It is so important to be able to have a knowledge of Christ, but it has to lead us to an understanding and a relationship with who he is. This, this is what's really important about this, all right? So what Paul helps us to realize is that intellectual knowledge is important if it moves us to a closer relationship with God. Now, here's what's so beautiful. Is God created us multifaceted. In fact, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not single-faceted. And I also believe that our knowledge of him is multifaceted. It's not one way is how we find out who God is. He uses all of these things together in order for us to gain an entire picture of who he is that what? Lends to our relationship with him growing, right? This, this is how God works. It's this, it's this beautiful thing that works together. Now, um, I'm going to go through, uh, I found this online through a, a bunch of different papers. You can actually research this on your own, but it's the four main types of knowledge, and this is, this is a scientific study. A lot of schools have done papers on this. You can find them if you just Google. And I thought that this was so cool, because even though that this is scientific in nature and has nothing to do with scriptural grounding at all, as I go through this, there is absolutely a spiritual application to each one of these. Okay? Now, I want you to think about then your relationship with God as we go through these things, and I want you to think about how the knowledge of God that we gain through a bunch of different facets are all used together for us to be able to grow in our relationship with God. All right, you ready? I'm going to give you some definitions. I'm going to try to break it down as simple as possible. There's going to be some heady verbiage in here, but I'm going to, I'm going to make, it, make it simple. Okay, the first kind of these, these four types of knowledge is called declarative knowledge. Declarative knowledge. This is what declarative knowledge is. It's fact-based what is known. For example, a person can generate declarative knowledge by reading and understanding a manual that explains the laws associated with the operation of a motor vehicle. Declarative knowledge is codified in a variety of ways, too. This can be accomplished through books, audio, video recordings, computer programming, mathematical formulas, and illustrations, to name a few. Okay? So now let's apply this to our spiritual life and our spiritual knowledge of God. What does this sound like? Say, yeah, you got it. The Reading the word. The declarative knowledge of who God is, is the word of God. This tells you everything right here about who God is. If you ever have a question, if you ever have a thought about, like, who, who is God? This tells you absolutely everything that you need to know. This is his letter to us about what this is. And so it's the declarative knowledge of God. It's the, the undisputed, unrefuted definition of who God is. And only through the word can we accurately know who God is. We talked about this back at the beginning of the prayer series, that unless we understand accurately who God is, we put our filter on who we think God is based off of our experiences rather than off of the word. And don't get me wrong, experiences help you to develop your understanding of who God is. But if you base your knowledge of God strictly off of the things you experience in life without any of the grounding of scripture, then you end up creating a God, and this is what we do. We end up creating a God that fits our definition of who he is, and in light of that, what it does is it actually removes some of the divinity and the power from him. Amen. Amen. 
<laughs> it's talking to me. Siri's talking to me. Is she telling me to be done? So this is the word of God. This is the word of God. Now, for, for, for some people, this is where we get stuck. We get stuck in the fact that we read the word and we understand what the word says about who God is. But, but, but that's where we stay. And what happens is, is our knowledge and therefore our relationship with God ends up being limited or partial. But it is very, very important. So we start with the declarative knowledge. Okay, we move on to this one. The next one of these is called procedural knowledge. Procedural knowledge is this. Thank you. It contrasts with declarative knowledge in that it describes how to do something. Procedural knowledge is generated through such activities as observation, practice and repetition, by rote, trial and error, which is discovery, and by documenting steps and procedures for completing a process. Okay? So again, we now apply this into our spiritual world. As we learn about God through the declarative knowledge, the declarative word of God, it's now up to us to assimilate what that means into our life. There is a level of the knowledge of God that can only come from processing what God is saying to us and transitioning it from this into our hearts to now move us to action. Procedural knowledge says, this is what God is saying to me, and here's what I'm going to do with it. And there's a level of understanding of God that only comes when we actually do what he says and when we obey the words that he is speaking to us. This is where the Holy Spirit works in our life because the Holy Spirit, this is, this is biblical, takes the living word of God and applies it now to our life where we start to understand what God's saying, what he wants us to do with it, and we start to make transitions in our life based off of this understanding and our relationship with God. So a question for us is, do we take time to make the declarative knowledge of God personal? This is, what, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ, is to not just hear the word. In fact, this is going to sound really familiar because Jesus said it. Is to hear the word and do the word. This is where procedural knowledge comes from. There's a point where we actually have to do some things. Otherwise, man, God is just speaking to me out of his word. Wow, that's so cool. What's he saying? I have no idea. Right? We have to be able to have both of these things working and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. One, one word that, that, that is a word that is such a fun word is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines play a huge role in procedural knowledge of God because what it does is, is it helps us to be able to grab a hold of and quantify what God is speaking to us. In our quiet time every day to read the word and have a journal and write down, this is what God's saying, and here's what I'm going to do with that today, right? It all comes back to this, this, that two-part question. What's God saying and, what's God, and what am I going to do with that today? And that comes through being able to journal and write down. Really what it is, is it's stewarding what, stewarding what God speaks to us, right? 
When we journal, when we write down those thoughts, it's to say, okay, this is what God's saying. Now I'm going to steward that to actually doing something with my life, okay? So this is procedural knowledge. The next kind of knowledge is called tacit knowledge, tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge is this. It's often generated over time through observation and experience and is thus likely to be personal and individual, understood or implied without being stated. In some cases, in fact, it may prove impossible to document and transfer as in the case of a feeling. But, however, it is possible to convert much tacit knowledge to explicit knowledge, which is the next one. We'll get there. So how is the codification, the sharing of tacit knowledge achieved? Through mentoring, apprenticeship, narratives, or storytelling, it's this, externalizing embedded knowledge, okay? Tacit knowledge is the experiential knowledge of Christ. It's when we take the word of God and we process it through what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and now we begin to walk through our lives, and because this is our grounding foundation, we start to walk through knowing that God is doing a good thing. And it gives us an anchor and a grounding to our soul. It's a level of knowledge that is really hard to sometimes articulate, but boy, it holds us in the middle of the storm. When things are happening in life and when, when, when things are bad and when all kinds of life just shakes like crazy, it's the declarative knowledge led by then the, the, followed by the procedural knowledge of God where the Holy Spirit moves that leads us to this knowing in the bottom and the very core of our being that who our God is. And we can't always quantify it and it doesn't always make sense, but it's the kind of thing that allowed Horatio G. Spafford when he sailed out on, on the boat and he stood on the deck of the ship over the place where his wife and his daughters had drowned, that he was able to say in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the loss, I can say without a doubt in my spirit that it is well with my soul. And this is where those things begin to come together and God begins to move and our relationship with him begins to grow. This is, this is, this is what this means. This is the kind of knowledge that's often, and it's gotten a bad rap, so I'm going to try to redeem it a little bit here. This is where a lot of the, the touchy-feely emotional connections with God are. And there is nothing wrong with that, and that is beautiful. Because God, when you, you, you could be standing in a worship service, and God just comes by his Holy Spirit and touches you, and you're sitting there crying, and you don't even know why. Why? Because you're having an emotional connection with Christ. And that is a beautiful thing to have happen. And it's part of how God wired us. But can I tell you this, that if that's all there is, and there's none of this, then our emotions can get us way off whack. Right? This is why we have to have all of these things functioning together as one. This is why it's all, it all works together. See, because without, without that experiential, everything could be off. Um, there's some people in the Bible who had tacit knowledge experiences with God. Paul, we just read about. He had this, it wasn't Bible, it wasn't the law. It was an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. Moses at the burning bush had a tacit 
knowledge, experience with God that spoke to and changed his life. Joshua in the tent of meeting, he stayed. And also when he met with the commander of the Lord's army, that was probably an experience that changed his life. I, I would think. Are you for us or against us? Neither. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So, so, who, so who are you? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Oh, oh snap. Like, I think that would, that would do something, right? So there's these experiential moments that we have with God. Now, now, notice what it said in the definition, and I really love this. How is this information trans- transferred? How is it shared? It's through mentoring, apprenticeship, narrative, and storytelling. Okay, get this. When we hear what God is doing in each other's lives, it builds our knowledge of who he is. And our relationship with him grows. And equally so, when you go and you share with somebody else what God's done in your life, it builds them up. Isn't that cool how it all works together? Yes, you're supposed to have your own personal relationship with God, but it's meant to build up the body of Christ. And so when you walk through something, you better believe that God wants to use it to build other people. Did you guys know I had a brain tumor? You might have not heard this story. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. But it's this really thing that when you walk through these moments in life, God uses them. I laugh. It's not a joking matter. I laugh because... I bring it up and people are like, no, we've never heard that before. Really sarcastic. <clears throat> anyway, when you go through things in life, you use those and God uses those to be able to build up the rest of the body of Christ. Okay, I'm just going to say this to everybody who's here and online, that there are things that have taken place in your life that God wants you to be able to share because it's exactly what somebody needs to grow in their relationship with God. I I want you to think about that. There's a peace that you bring that if we are not testifying of the Lord's goodness in our life, that people are missing out on, right? This is this knowledge that grows in us that God wants us to be able to use to encourage one another. This is tacit knowledge. And the final kind of knowledge here is called explicit knowledge, explicit knowledge. And this is what it is. It's relatively easy, codified, and shared. It's, listen, a tacit knowledge with a voice. So in some ways, you can think about your experiences that you have with God. Now, as you begin to communicate those, they become explicit knowledge that helps somebody else grow in their relationship with God. Okay. It is important to note that explicit knowledge is not simply information or data, but involves examining the relationship between information and data. In fact, it is an examination that can result in, this is cool, the generation of a new knowledge by, for example, bringing together people with different perspectives to work on a problem or project. Other ways of generating explicit knowledge are through dedicated research and development units, data mining to take separate pieces of information and combine them into a new whole or to form new knowledge or conclusions through examination. Okay? Now, that was a lot, <laughs> that was a lot right? Here's the basics of it. Here's the basics of it. You have new thoughts that God wants to give you that will help the body of Christ grow. 
God reveals things to you that, that have never been heard before. Think about that for a second. That as we grow in our knowledge of God, as we grow in our relationship with him, he imparts things to us that are new that people haven't heard before, but that helps them to absolutely grow in their relationship with God. Okay? This is, again, where there's a responsibility on us to share our knowledge and our relationship with Christ with others. Okay? There's a responsibility there. Um, this is also where, if you've ever read any kind of a commentary on the Bible, th- this fits into this. It's, it's these, these brilliant scholars who have read the Bible and, and spent years studying the Bible, and God has given them revelation upon revelation, and they put this in a book. And now as you read the commentary, the commentary doesn't replace the Word of God, but the commentary gives you insight onto the Word of God that you might have not thought about before. Whenever I'm getting ready to speak, and Pastor Tim would be the same, anybody who does, part of the study process is looking at Scripture and then looking at all the commentaries that back it up going, okay, so are some people like Matthew Henry and some of these people as they read, what did the Holy Spirit speak to them that now I can take into my relationship with God, right? That this is, this is a healthy and this is a meaningful thing as long as it's credible sources, right? But it all goes back to being grounded in the Word, Right? One of, the, one of the things I would really challenge you to do that's a lot of fun is to actually take a commentary, and there's a couple of Blue Letter Bible app is a free one. Uh, eSword is a free one as well. There's a couple of apps that you can use to take it into your pers- personal devotion time with the Lord. And what you do is, as you're reading a passage of Scripture, you then read the commentary that applies to it, and your mind will be open to a different way and through a different filter than it was before because now you have the insight of other people as well. That is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that's moving through them, right? This is, all, this is all the parts that work together, okay? Now, all of those four that I just mentioned there, they all work together to give us a complete working knowledge, or I should say it this way, this is a better way to say it, how to gain a full knowledge of Christ, the, the, the fact is, we're never going to know everything there is about God. It, we're, we're, we're not. Until we stand before him one day in heaven, we're not going to understand the depths and the, 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 the vastness of who he is. And that's the point. He's incomprehensible. But as we grow in our knowledge of him in all of these different ways, he uses the word of God, he uses each other, he uses the Holy Spirit to be able to grow in our relationship with him so that we do grow in our knowledge of who God is, right? So all of these things work together to be able to paint this picture of who he is. Now, just to put the icing on the cake, because this is all, again, this is all very scientific and and all of this, but can you see how it has like spiritual application attached to it, right? It's not just, wow, I sat through a psychology class. It's like, oh my word, that actually applies to our spiritual lives, right? Like that's, it's so cool. I actually found it geeked out because I was like, no way. They thought it was like scientific and it was like, no, it's spiritual, but it is scientific too. Anyway, never mind. But I thought it was so cool to be able to see how all these things work. There is a book of the Bible that if you don't believe me yet, there's a book of the Bible that actually shows us all of these things working together. In the book of Proverbs, 
we see that there are three main thoughts or words that are used over and over throughout the book. And they are this, that you would seek and then apply to your life. The first of these words is knowledge. Proverbs talks all the time about gaining knowledge, receiving knowledge, searching for knowledge, looking for it, like turning against it, giving everything up so that you can gain knowledge. The second word that it uses is the word interpretation or understanding. Because now you have knowledge that you, you then have to interpret by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you have an understanding in your life about what we are supposed to do with it. And then there's a third word that Proverbs uses called wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And so even in Proverbs, we see that we are supposed to gain knowledge. Absolutely. Just like Paul, we're supposed to gain knowledge of who he is. Intellectual knowledge but that then the Holy Spirit uses and blows on by the power of the Holy Spirit to come into more of a, um, a, a, a relational understanding of who God is. And our relationship grows as we apply what God has done in our life. And then we use that to testify, to tell others of what he's done. Okay. The, the four things that I mentioned here are not, are not stair step. You don't, you don't begin, well, <laughs> in this sense, you do begin with the declarative knowledge of God because you begin with the word. That's just where you always begin. But all of these four work together. There may be moments in life when some of these, knowledge, some of these ways that we receive the knowledge of Christ are stronger than other ways, but they balance each other out and God uses all of them to be able to work together. This is why they're so important though. We can't have word knowledge without experience knowledge. We have to have both of those working together, right? And we can't have experienced knowledge without grounding on how to understand it, how to process it. And we can't process through what we don't know. So there's, there's all of these things and all of these facets that work together. As we pursue God and as we grow in our relationship with God, and, and as I've read a lot of the Bible and, and, and prayed and, and gone through a life of seeking him, Mmm, there's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there it is. It's here. It always comes with music. As we pursue him, my prayer in my heart is that we wouldn't settle, but we would grow in our knowledge of him because we understand we can never fully understand everything about him. See, our knowledge of God should drive us to wanting more of him. It shouldn't leave us going, yeah, I got him figured out. I've, I've got God figured out. No, we should be desiring and hungry for more of who he is. Um, we often, I think, I, I've done this and I've, you've probably done some of this as well, is we often put a cap on our knowledge of God based off of what we carry. Either we're intimidated or ashamed based off of sin or ashamed of of things we've done and it's caused us to kind of approach God at a little bit of an arm's length because again, we've kind of put a definition of who he is on him to say, well, I've messed up so much or I'm so inadequate that I can't possibly have a relationship with God. And, and what happens is that the knowledge, anything that we start to learn actually drives more of a wedge because it's like, I'm, 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 there's no way that I can ever add up or be someone that a God like that would love. But the thing is, as we grow in a complete picture of who God is, we understand 
that Jesus came to bridge that gap so that no longer do we have to stand at arm's length because it's up to us. But Jesus came to break that down. So now as we grow in our knowledge of how amazing God is, our relationship with him also grows. The challenge, I'll just put this before you. This, is, this, is, this was my prayer as I was studying this, this message. My challenge is this, is to allow the knowledge of God to be multifaceted and not to settle what, what, what not to settle with what I've known about him before. To, to not be content, but allow my knowledge of him to grow, which then in turn deepens my relationship with him. I, my, my desire is to have a Philippians 3 declaration of Paul. That I know all this stuff, but I count it lost compared to knowing Christ. Right? I, I want that to be the declaration of my life. And, and, I, and I hope you do too. I hope that you can take all of this, and I know it's, some of it's a little heady, like, okay, what's that definition? But, but do, you, do you see how all of those pieces kind of work together? How, how they kind of build this entire picture of how we relate to God and how we gain knowledge from Him? Um, it, it's something for us. If, if in your life you look at any of those three, or those four, there, there are four of them, I do know how to count. Um, if you look at any of those four and you go, you know what? Oh, man. The whole like tacit knowledge, experiential understanding what God's doing has been really, really hard for me. My prayer is that by the Holy Spirit, that grows and increases. Because if we're aware of where our knowledge strengths are and some of our knowledge weaknesses, it allows the Holy Spirit to be able to grow us, right? Maybe you listen and you're like, you know what? I'm stuck at this. Like, and not stuck at the Bible. That's, you know, cut that out a lot. <laughs> All kinds of doctrine around that one. <clears throat> but this, this is it, where my knowledge about God, about what I read, it just stays there, but it doesn't have any transformational work in my life, right? It's for us to be able to identify where those things are at and then ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to grow. Amen? Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.